Today's read, Midnight and the Meaning of Love by Sister Soja, Part 3, Korean Drama, Chapter 26, Wings of Fire. For the next three days, think only of Chiasa, Chiasa said. Can you do that for me? It's Ramadan. You and I have to think of Allah. Okay. After sunset, can you think only of me as my wedding gift? That's easy. Is it? She asked. I think about you all the time anyway. And I did from when we first met. You did? When I saw you asleep on the plane, I thought to myself, she is like a blue diamond. Chiasa was smiling, a blue diamond, she repeated softly. Yeah, if someone ran up on a blue diamond, they'd stare at it for a while. Then, somehow, even if their eyes moved away for a second, they would look right back at it again and again. Is it just about how I look? She asked me. Nah, but that's a part of it, no doubt. If I looked over in that plane seat and saw a female who couldn't fit in the chair with the face of a monster and feet like a kangaroo, I doubt we'd be standing here together like this. She laughed at my joke and then said, but what if she was a really nice girl? (laughs) We both laughed. She had to know that I loved her mind and the way she expressed her thoughts. She had to know that I loved her courage, her heart, and her soul. I liked that you were so pretty, but that it seemed like you had no idea that you were. Oh, I see, she said, thinking. In Japan, people don't treat me as though I'm pretty or special in any way. At least not in a good way, she said. That's good. I like that. They made it better for me. When I take you back to Brooklyn, there won't be a cloth that could cover and conceal you enough to hide your beauty from the hood niggas. Maybe I'll get you one of those joints from Afghanistan, I said with a serious face, but I was joking. You mean, she said slowly, yeah, like that. It goes over your entire body and there is a small screen for you to see out and for no one to see in, I gestured. You don't scare me, Ryoshi, she smiled. I love my Zukin. If I can wear the face garment of a ninja, I can wear an abaya or hijab easily. Who told you those words? I asked her, smiling. The woman in the mosque who helped me learn how to wrap my hair said the proper name for the head covering was hijab. I liked the sound of that word, so I remembered it. My father showed me once how women in Afghanistan dress. He said I should never be like them, she said softly. Are you like them now? I asked her. Even back then, I thought those women were beautiful and special. I didn't say it to daddy, she paused. 
My father means well. We're not talking about him. We are thinking only of Chiasa, I reminded her. Aunt Tasha said something like what you said a moment ago. Here we go. What did the infamous Aunt Tasha say now? I played. She said that I wouldn't survive a second in Harlem without the street hustlers eating me up. Chiasa was looking into me for my reaction. Hmm. That might be the first thing Aunt Tasha said that was true, I joked. That's not the only thing, Ryoshi. Aunt Tasha is so good, Chiasa defended and pleaded. What does Aunt Tasha know about some street hustlers, I asked. She lives on Strivers Row, Chiasa said, as though that should tell me something. Strivers Row, I repeated. In Harlem, you know it, don't you? Nah, I said truthfully. What kind of New Yorker wouldn't know Strivers Row? Aunt Tasha talks about the history of it all the time. So, when you visit Aunt Tasha, what happens? I asked. My chest felt tight. What do you mean, what happens? Nothing. She just loves, loves, loves me. She has four sons and no daughter. She's my father's sister, so she treats me as her daughter. What happens about the street hustlers who she said would eat you if they saw you? I pushed. I don't get to visit Aunt Tasha often. When I do, I can't stay there for long. I always have a really busy schedule with martial arts, ninja camp, tutors, school, and work, she said. What about when you do visit Aunt Tasha? Oh, that can't happen. That's why she never lets me out. She keeps me in the house with her. And we have our own world in there. When we do go out, she takes me to really cool places and teaches me things. She never lets me sit on the stoop like you New Yorkers call it, Chiasa explained. I like Aunt Tasha, I told her. Am I going to have to beat down all four of her sons? I tested. Chiasa laughed. I already thought of that. Chiasa, quick like lightning, said, Aunt Tasha is a church lady, and she is going to absolutely flip or faint or both when she sees the changes in me and listens to my new words and thoughts and beliefs. But I decided, once they all see how serious I am and how I am studying the Quran first before taking a shahada and how much I love you really really a lot they will accept you and me and respect our way I looked at my woman my wife so beautiful all the way through the skin and flesh and bone and into her soul How come you never kissed me, she asked softly, her mood changing. I smiled. You really want to know? Hi, she said. I know that if I started kissing you, I wouldn't be able to stop myself. I might even lose my mind while I'm inside of you, so when I do kiss you, I gotta take you some place where it's good and safe and all right for me to lose my mind and to give you my whole self because you're Chiasa, a whole woman, not a half, right? I said, 
quoting her. Her eyes widened, then melted. Besides, a smart man has to think carefully before he touches you. You're a little dangerous, I teased her. Dangerous, she asked. Yeah, like you like to play with knives and your father plays with guns. A man has to ask himself, is Chiasa worth my life? Then a man might decide that some other girl is much easier to deal with. But you're not that kind of man, Ryoshi, she said swiftly and at the same time seemed to just be realizing that I was actually saying that she is worth my life and any confrontation that loving her might bring to me. My father, that night when he saw my ring and the gold bangles that you placed on my wrist, he just stared. I waited for him to say something, but he didn't. Later that night, he called my grandfather. They had a long talk. Grandfather told my father that he had already known that the tall, dark, and handsome boy had captured Chiasa's heart. Grandfather assured Daddy that the boy has a fearless soul and would take our Chiasa away. Your father told you about his conversation with your grandfather? I asked Chiasa. No, my grandfather told me about their conversation. I called him right after he and Daddy talked. Daddy left out, and I called Grandfather. Quick and clever, Chiasa admitted. Early the next morning, my father called my mother. I knew what that meant, she said in a serious but soft tone. What did it mean? I followed. Well, the two of them never speak to one another, sadly. If they do speak on occasion, it's usually to blame one another concerning who was responsible for something Chiasa had done. That happened on your watch, sometimes my father would say to Okasan, or my mom would blame daddy for not seeing your daughter as often as you should and spoiling her terribly when you do. <laughs> Chiasa gave a quick nervous laugh. So, whose fault is it? I asked Chiasa. Me and you. Who's to blame that we are together? I asked her. It's not a fault. It's fate. And it's a fact, she said solidly. I'd like to thank your mother. I want to meet her and thank her, I said calmly. <laughs> For what? Chiasa said, pushing me playfully. First, I want to thank her because she brought you into the world. I want to thank her for forcing you to do ballet. Ballet? Chiasa raised her voice. Of course. Ballet made your legs so pretty. I said calmly. She lowered her eyes. I want to thank her for your eyes and those long lashes, for your small waist, and for her not knowing how to comb your hair, I said. Chiasa fell over with laughter. Seriously, your hair is wild, and you're wild, but you're pure, and I like all of it.
we sailed in a hired yacht cruiser with two white sails and one wide wicked red sail in between to an almost deserted island called Somayamuldo. The lady in red was the name of the pretty vessel. It wasn't expensive. It was a short trip across the South Sea from Hyundai Beach in Busan. Korea has hundreds of tiny islands. I knew they must all have something unique going on. There had to be something attracting and pulling people to them. Whenever I went running on the beach, I saw the boats flowing back and forth. I had asked a fisherman on the pier, where can I take my girl to make her love me more? He smiled. Sarang, he said, meaning love. Then he pointed out over the waters. So my muldo, that same morning, I negotiated a small fee with a captain whose yacht I always saw docked more than moving. Eagerly, he agreed to take us over. He welcomed us nicely, made us comfortable, and promised to return for us at the agreed-upon time, three and a half days later. How come places are more beautiful when humans haven't rearranged them? Chiasa asked me. We were both staring at the reddest, jagged-edged rocks, the bluest sky, the greenest grass, and into the forest as we climbed out of the transparent waters, swarming with colorful sea life. Come on, we have to find a hotel, I told her. We don't have a reservation, she asked. No, everything that happens here will be whatever you and me make happen, I said. So fucking cool, she said. Hotel, a little Korean lady said, shaking her head back and forth to say no, and placing her hands across one another to say none. Sarang, she said. She was asking if Chiasa and I were in love. Chiasa held out her hands, showing the woman her wedding ring and bangles. Honeymoon, Chiasa said with a soft pride. The lady smiled. She had a tanned face, a black afro, and tilted teeth. She touched Chiasa's hand, then held it to lead the way. Chiasa looked back at me and said, See, I'm already making friends. In a, bung- in a bungalow in the woods was where we laid our luggage, surrounded by a forest and the sound of the sea. It was not a hotel or a condo or motel or rental. It was the home of the woman who waited by the waters for the boats to come in, hoping she could make a few wan if she could convince someone to stay. There was no bed and no kitchen. The cooking area was an outdoor oven and grill. There was no bathroom. The toilet was a short walk to an outdoor structure. The shower was also on the side of the bungalow in the yard. The yard was not a real yard. It was the forest. We can leave and go somewhere else. I'm sure they have a hotel somewhere, I told my wife. 
This is perfect, Chiasa said. I paid the woman her full asking fee. She bowed, using only her head more than a few times, which sent Chiasa into bowing. The woman pointed out the pillows, blankets, and mosquito nets, pots and pans, hot plates for indoors, rice cooker, and chopsticks. She led us outside and showed us the water well and the shower head, the wood pile and the tool shed, and the lanterns to light up the yard at night. Then she immediately made herself disappear. We organized and settled, exploring. I followed Chiasa through the woods. I knew she didn't like snakes. I didn't tell her, but when we first arrived on the walk over, I spotted one. It was medium length and green and blended in like a leaf. When we left the forest and faced a field of camellia flowers, Chiasa bolted. She started running at top speed. I chased her. She was quick and swerving to outmaneuver and outdistance me. I picked up my speed. I wanted to catch her. And I didn't want to catch her. She was burning off some energy that she probably had bottled up from being unusually still over her past days visiting Korea. I was getting closer to her heels and was excited by her ways. I caught her, snatched her back by her waist, and tossed her into the flowers. She lay there, breathing hard. I stood over her. There's snakes in the grass, was all I said. She jumped right up and chased me back to the bungalow, talking the whole time she was running about how she's not afraid of snakes. I feel free, she said. We were back inside our bungalow. There is no one. Just Chiasa and her husband... I sat on the floor, dry, and laid out from our run. I watched her sort through her clothes that were folded inside her duffel. She chose a short dress, grabbed the soap and a washcloth, and left. From the bungalow window, I watched her unwrap her scarf and unravel her two pretty braids and shake her hair into a wild, thick and long mane. With her hands crisscrossed, she tucked her pretty fingers below her tee and eased it over her head and tossed it to the side. She unclipped her bra from the front. Her waist was small and tight. Her shoulders were the most beautiful I had ever seen. They were slim and toned and cut and feminine and outlined perfectly from years of arching back and firing off her bows. Her pants were open now, and with both hands, she peeled them away from her hips. They dropped down to her ankles. She bent over to step out of them, one leg at a time. Her panties were tiny, stretched over her smooth and round backside. She didn't see me watching from the bungalow window, the same as she didn't see me that first time in the mosque. Yet, she sees everything perfect vision. She turned on the shower water. I spun her around. She was all wet. She cleaned the water from her face like a swimmer coming up for air. I pulled the lace and rolled her panties over her hips and yanked them down to her ankles. She lifted one pretty foot and then the other. I tossed them 
I looked up at her and into her eyes. They were flooded with a mixture of love, curiosity, and desire. Ryoshi, she said when I stood facing her. I pushed her back against the bungalow, held one hand on her waist and the other on the back of her neck. I leaned in closer. Her lips parted and her breath escaped. I slid in and tongued her gently. The inside of her mouth was warm. Her tongue wasn't in a rhythm with mine at first, so I slowed mine and maneuvered hers until it flowed and felt right. Then I could feel her body relaxing. Her mouth started moving with a hunger. We sucked one another's tongues. When I pulled back some, she moved forward and her tongue was bringing me back inside her. I could feel her mangles pressed against my bare chest. I sucked her neck. Her breathing picked up and aroused me more. The warm water continued showering over our bare bodies. Oh my God, Ryoshi, she whispered in my ear. I slid my hand down the center of her body. She began breathing faster. I could feel the fire from within her rising and heating up her skin. I stepped back and looked at her. She covered both her eyes with her pretty hands. She held them there and suddenly squeezed her pretty thighs together. Oh my God, this feels so good, she said dramatically, as though she could not believe it was happening to her. I turned off the shower. Her whole body was trembling. Now I could hear only sounds of pleasure escaping from her lips. I had one hand on the ground and the other in her hair. I didn't realize I was pulling it, yanking it. Her hips were moving beneath me now. She was feeling it and grooving with it now. We were grinding in the grass. I could no longer think, narrate, control, direct, or resist. Her body was bliss, and I had lost my mind. When I showered my seeds into Chiasa, my wife, I eased off. I lay flat on my back facing the sky now. She threw one ballerina leg over and rolled right on top of me. She began kissing my face with her thick and pretty lips as though she was thanking me without words. She threw her arms around my neck she screamed one Japanese word, Subarashi, and then whispered with her lips pressed to my ear and said, Ryoshi, I fucking love you. You make me feel so good. She licked my ear. I don't know what we both imagined we would do on that island. Whatever it was, all we did was love one another. Of course, we did little things like eat. After, Chiasa shot a chicken with her arrow, and I plucked it, cut it, and cleaned it, and grilled it. We played in the forest, ran together, and raced to nowhere. Run, she told me, as she took aim at me with her arrow. Woman, don't be crazy, I told her. But she was serious. I like a live target best, she said. 
and let off her arrow over my head. I liked the adrenaline rush and started running. I just pretended I was back in my Brooklyn hood running from the police after a block party got shot down. I was dodging and zigzagging. She was firing off those arrows repeatedly, just missing my head each time till they were all gone. Then she chased each arrow down and I began chasing her. I know you could have hit me if you tried, I exposed her. Then who would make love to me, she said, switching from assassin to temptress. Temptress. In the middle of the night, I spread out my sleeping bag. Get in, I told her. There are blankets, she said softly. Get in, I said again. I zipped us inside. Ryoshi, you really do love me, don't you? I just hugged her up. Having her naked inside my sleeping bag was a fantasy, a dream I had on the rooftop in Hokkaido. Now we were in a warm, darkened hut on an island where only 50 people lived. As my hands rolled her curves and as she kissed me everywhere in an explosion of emotion, it had become real. We were just touching. Not speaking, not grinding, we were winding down into a sleep, I thought. Ryoshi, when did we fall in love? I tried to pinpoint the exact moment in my mind, Chiasa said to me. Probably we both fell in love at different times, I said sincerely. Also, I think a man could fall in love at one time, but not acknowledge it to himself until later on tell me she asked I was stroking her skin while thinking my hand paused on her lower back right before the curve of her behind the moonlight was streaking through the window cutting through the darkness in our bungalow but revealing only Chiasa's incredible eyes I fell in love with you at the Senegalese restaurant in Tokyo I told her Really? Why there? Because you were so beautiful and completely quiet. You were surrounded by men but weren't flirting. They all knew you were a precious gem but that they could not have you because you were mine. She moved her hand to the inside of my leg and left it there. Besides, You killed them all by throwing those darts into the bullseye like it was nothing to you. She laughed a bit. Ryoshi, you killed them. You had already beaten them at their own game on their board, she said with a soft excitement. So, when did you acknowledge it, your love for me? You said it was at a separate time, she asked me again. She was very curious. When I was in Busan, and you were on the telephone speaking to me, when I couldn't even get my words right, when I asked you, when I asked if you were still fasting and you said yes, that sealed it for me. I couldn't ignore it anymore. We awakened, sticky and glued together. Sunrise came without notice. 
We showered separately and then made the prayer. We had no early morning meal or water. In the daylight, we prayed and read Quran together but separately. Chiasa's mind was so sharp. She read slowly and thoughtfully. She would explain her interpretations clearly and ask me about my understanding. It seems she compared each line to her own life and experiences or what she thought she might face in the future. I am a Muslim man and I loved her independent thinking. It was both respectful and beautiful to me. It revealed that she was not simply acting or going through the motions for my sake. She was searching for meaning and she was sincere. Later, she showed me how to drive a motorcycle on a broke down, half rented, half borrowed motorbike. After an hour of training, I was riding her. She was on the back with her face pressed against me as we toured the tiny island. We stopped here and there and bought some rice and vegetables and a few small items for her to cook after sunset. I would not eat from her hands before, but I would eat from hers tonight, eagerly. Right before sunset, we stood on the pier, facing the towering lighthouse, but more fascinated by the trail of pinks and oranges that the sun was painting as it prepared to set. We both had handmade fishing rods. The fishes acted in my favor and got hooked on my line and not hers. Chiasa cheered for me. The sound of her voice pierced our silence and drove the fishes away. It wasn't a problem. We'd share my medium-sized catch. I can eat it raw or fry it up nice how you New Yorkers like it, she said, squatting down and looking up toward me her eyes sparkling and her smile so pure that her soul was shining. After our prayer, we hit the lanterns. She cooked the fish after I cleaned them up nice. She wore shorts so short she would never wear them any place again except on a nearly deserted island in the woods in the presence of only her husband. She crushed a dry chili pepper, added chopped onions and garlic, salt, and a splash of vinegar and made me some hot sauce. The strong scent drifted on the night breeze. She coughed. We Japanese don't need this sauce, but you Africans do, she choked. She joked. Yeah, us Africans do, I told her. She said everything out nicely. We ate on a short wooden table. Her meal tasted super fresh and was more delicious to me because she made it. Because we were outdoors. Because we were alone. Because the fire of the lantern was blazing and because my feelings for her were growing and spreading. In the bungalow, with two buckets of water and her sponge, we washed each other's bodies. Afterward, she pulled a small bottle of olive oil out of her duffel. I watched. She saw me watching and said, You'll see. She began tripping it onto my chest and rubbing it onto my shoulders and spreading it over my arms. I lay back, 
and she oiled my stomach and legs and feet, the soles of my feet feeling her feminine finger sent a sensation throughout my body. She lay on me and began sliding her body back and forth. You want some more? I asked her. Oil is expensive. I'm trying to get some oil for me off you, she said coyly. I sat up. We were facing one another now. Come here, I told her. I began spreading the oil on her incredible pretty shoulders and arms. I spread the oil over her breasts and her lips parted and began breathing seductively. Still facing her, I was now moving the oil over her back and down to her buttocks. It was a soothing and sensual grind in a silent place other than the sounds of nature and of our own moaning. She had me moaning. She really got me. I was completely opened. I liked the way she kept kissing me all over, even after she had shaken and settled. We were hugged up, our naked bodies facing one another and pressed together. Her slim arms were wrapped around my neck as though she never wanted to let go. Do you want to know when I fell in love with you? Chiasa asked me. I didn't speak. I was too caught up in the feeling. So she continued. My eyes were closed. I was on the plane and you were standing over me. I could feel your eyes moving over my skin. I fell in love with that feeling of you looking me over as I pretended to sleep. I was listening to the sound of your voice. Anytime anyone asked you a question, you would turn the question around on them and ask about me instead. I liked that feeling. She paused. Then she pulled away a bit and said, Then you know who asked you for something and you said, Everything I have, I'm planning to keep. That was it for me. I think that is the greatest thing a man can say and really do with a woman for him to really plan to keep her for a lifetime and love her well no divorce or abuse or any of that just love so when you came to my hostel Shinjuku Uchi and sat down on my bed you already loved me I checked her well no I didn't acknowledge it then she said she was quite clever. When did you acknowledge it? I followed up. When I was riding my horse at full speed, I used to think that is the greatest feeling in the world. But I was riding, and my tears were spilling all over and blurring my vision. I missed you so much. I realized nothing would ever feel good anymore if you didn't come for me. Sometimes, when it comes to women, a man needs a push. You came to Korea. That was the push I confided. I waited for you to invite me. When you didn't, my father invited me to cheer me up. What if daddy hadn't flown me over? What if I didn't come, she asked. You came, I said. I kissed her lips softly. We were tonguing and touching all over again. I know she wanted me to say something strong and deep and true to her. I would when I was ready. 
and could speak it out loud naturally. For now, I was just loving her and she was loving me back. At sunrise, we were up and cleaned and in prayer. We hadn't overslept or missed Suhor, our breakfast meal. After the noon sun reached its hottest point and then declined some, we climbed mountains together. It seemed that nature had become a huge part of our love, naturally. I didn't want to think about Brooklyn, or cement, or buildings, or guns when I was with Chiasa. It was so easy to push those thoughts away. She was always surrounded in the most natural, beautiful scenery, and I was there with her. She even made her weapons from nature. When we reached the top of the mountain, she sat down and placed her pretty palms against the rocks. Hmm, they're hot. I wonder how that would feel, she said curiously. Then she turned her head to the sky. I was watching her. It was impossible, but it seemed as though I could see the sun browning her golden face right at that exact moment. Her eyes were closed, and she was so silent for a while. What are you thinking? I asked her. I was thinking that if anyone ever tried to harm Ryoshi, I will sever his head from his neck with my katana, my longest, sharpest blade. Her eyes were still closed, and her words were spoken without humor. They were swirling in my mind and stirring in my chest. It's my job to protect you, Chiasa. I told her solemnly. Staring at the sky, I could see only her pretty profile. We will protect each other. And Chiasa, Hayoku Brown, will never betray you in love, in life, or in war. She said the heaviest words with the lightest tongue and softest sound. We prayed together and broke our fast for the day with water and sweet tropical fruits that made her lips pucker. In the backyard, between two lanterns, I washed her hair with some shampoo that smelled like strawberries. Later, we washed our clothes outdoors behind the bungalow in a huge round bucket filled with water. We did it Korean style. We washed our clothes with our feet. Wearing a thin silk dress and no panties, she began hanging our clothes on the clothing line that I ran across our bungalow. I came up on her from behind. I began to move the soft cloth of her short dress and use it to caress her. I moved both hands around front and squeezed her. She pulled her hands down from the clothing line gracefully, like the ballerina she was. She is. She turned to me and pressed her body against mine. Ryoshi, how come we can't stop? She asked me softly. We, we both smiled. Because we don't want to, I told her. Oh my God, she was whispering. We were on the floor now, beneath the dripping wet clothing. I held her long leg over her head. Oh my God. Late night, in our bungalow, I could feel in her emotion and in her body that this was our third and last night together on our island. It was a warm night, without the familiar relief of a night breeze. 
I was working out. She was reading. She looked up from her book. It's a powerful thing, this love. It can make your whole world shift. How will I go back to Japan? She asked suddenly. It shot a shock through my body, even though I already knew that she was scheduled to begin flight school next week. I didn't tell her straight out that I wanted her to come to New York with me, that she is my wife now and belonged at my side with me. I knew that was the only right way, but even when I repeated it to myself, it sounded unreasonable because of all of the loose ends she had left behind without knowing that she would see me in Seoul and that I would step up, be honest and bold and true enough to make her my wife. Now I felt panic. I felt so close to her. I was not worried even one bit about her loyalty to me. I felt certain she would never allow any other man to go in her. I was sure. Still, I couldn't break up as she once called it. I couldn't have her on one side of the world and me on the other because I love her and had loved her from the moment I first saw her and loved her every second afterward and loved her even more right now, this second. Ryoshi was all she said. I was sitting on the floor thinking deeply after pulling up out of a sit-up. She had come behind me and was now seated there, her lips against the back of my neck. Her legs were opened. My body was seated between them. She pressed herself against my back. She linked her fingers together on my stomach, holding me from behind. She would kiss my neck, wait some seconds, and kiss my neck again. I turned to face her, throwing my legs over hers. The inside of Chiasa's mouth was warm and soft and clean and fresh. The feeling of love and motion and the pull of her tongue are sucking and breathing and the sincerity of her intent blew my mind and moved my soul. The intensity frightened me. <sighs> I began sucking her neck and moved my kisses across her beautiful collarbone. I flipped her over and kissed the back of her neck, moving my kisses down her spine. The back of her body was cut and curved, so crazy. Then I wanted more to see her pretty face, the expression in her eyes. Me and my ballerina danced like that until tears streamed down from her eyes. Her tears moved me. Comrade was all I said. Speaking from my soul, I said to her out loud so she could hear it and know it for sure. Chiasa, I love you. I love you more than I love myself. I said it. I meant it. Don't go. Stay with me. Let's stay together. I was feeling something stronger than I had ever felt. It was something divine. Stronger and more influential than sex. It was something beautiful. Perfect. And extremely dangerous. Dangerous.